Cuties, welcome to another episode of the Celebrant Talk Show. My name is Josh Withers, and I am but 50% of this marvellous MP3, because there is someone much, much greater than I joining us on the podcast today. We... We reach into the heavens and down comes Sarah Eard. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everyone. I really hope we don't have any enemies listening to this. Really? This is this is this is how they become enemies. They oh, that's a good point. They get so close and they're like, "Man, fuck those guys." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. I'll accept. If they're that. not that close, they're not enemies. Like they're no. just they're haters, and haters and enemies are different kinds of haters. Don't like they're uneducated. Enemies, they're like, they've sat down, they've thought about it, they've got a business plan, they've got a game plan, they're like, this is how much I will destroy them, and you've got evidence, and yeah, not that I've ever thought through this, I've, I, like, I, don't, no, I don't know how it works. clearly haven't thought through this at all. No, they, so you I just sound like you're stand. describing Gru from the Minions with your <laughs> business plan and your <laughs> thoughts and stuff. I love the Minions movies. Can I just tell you that I think the Minions are just so fun? And I would love to have some minions. We have one minion in our house, and I'm not even talking about Luna. Uh, <laughs> uh, we we have our little ginger cat. Um, uh, oh, you haven't you've met our cats, have you? We're, I haven't met the cats. So no. we've um, we've got a cat uh, who, if you if you see on social, we call her Aggie, but her her yes. name is Agnes. Right, fair. Um, but Stevie's not the, a minion. No, no. <laughs> No. Stevie's more like Gru. Stevie Stevie was a 70s rock star. Yes. Yes, well, indeed. Well, still is. Like, she she lives that life. She really, yes. she owns it. <laughs> You're like Stevie's minions, right? Yeah, I think that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Anyway, so it's been a while. I've got, a, I've got lots of good excuses. Oh, we don't need excuses. It's just the way it is. <laughs> it is the way it is. What, like, should, should we? Should we maybe just instead of make up, instead of communicate excuses, should we? Should we do a, a state of the union? Like, how are we? Where are we at? Because we, uh, when was the last that's podcast? Excellent. Last um, one was December. Oh, that's embarrassing. Yeah, I know, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, let's do a bit of a where things are at. So, uh, for me, I live in a new house now. Um, a different Amazing. house to what I used to live in. And uh, we are literally like minutes from the beach. It is so good. We are that close to the beach that my my area of the house that we call my office, which previously was a garage and is now an office, um, it, it, there's sand on the on the concrete between my toes. Wow. Which, which wow. seems like really glamorous, but the last place you want sand in your house is in your office with your computer equipment. Yeah, not glamorous at all. No, so I'm, I'm working on that. I'm um, uh, a little you know, hot tip. Uh, when you buy a house, what happens is you automatically become a really shit tradie. <laughs> it just <laughs> it, it comes with the house. They're like, hey, you get to work on this now really terribly. And that's my new thing. I work on the house really terribly. Brilliant. Brilliant. But are you, I do have some vows for a wedding this weekend and they've talked about being really bad tradies on their new house in their vows, uh, but he is now forbidden from climbing on ladders. Uh, are you, because uh, they had an incident when he was being a really bad tradie working on the house. So are you forbidden from climbing on ladders yet? We don't have any hard and fast rules. Um, uh, Brit, Brit doesn't like it when I carry things near our new paint. <laughs> she'd rather I didn't carry anything ever. Yep, that's fair. Because um, yep. apparently I'm not that good at that. Right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, you, this is the cutest thing. Like, I, I, I love Rich. She's the cutest person alive. Um, like, she'll she'll have all these worries about me carrying things. And then she comes to me yesterday and she goes, you can build, a, like, a bookshelf, can't you? 
<laughs> no, baby. Like if if every idiot like me could build a bookshelf, IKEA would not exist. Yeah, correct. That's what IKEA's for. IKEA's are everywhere because people like me are quite useless. Yeah, no. I think you should then they're cheap and they last forever. Compared to the so, compared to the new no. Josh Withers range of bookcases coming out next summer, uh, they will not last yeah. forever. No. No, no, just go to IKEA. That would be much more sensible. Yeah. Um, so if you're if you're currently your office is in the garage, where do you park the car? Uh, we've we've never been car garage people because we own a, a CX five, which is just too big for most garages. Like a, it's just because you know you don't want to open the doors and hit the walls and I don't know. Sure. So we've we've, we've been ungaraged for a while, but uh, okay. And when I saw the garage, I thought, perfect place for Josh's new podcast studio. So I've, uh, I've got a new little podcasting set up in here, and now I just need to figure out how to make sand and not come in. Awesome. Yeah. Good. It's well, a real journey. sounds like we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly but surely, Sarah. Um, and what else other than moving house? Um, well, we've, uh, we've now got a uh, – what's today's date? Today's the 14th of um, is it March. So uh, yeah. in a few days, we've got a five-month-old baby. Oh, crazy! Five uh, months already. She's just growing up. She's she's going to be CEO next week. Yeah, uh, we've got a five month old baby. We've um we've since since you and I podcasted last. I think did we podcast before I went to the US? Mm, you know, I I don't, I don't even know when did you go to the US? Uh, December. So so Britt and I and Luna went to the US. I had some um some ceremonies in uh, California. And so Luna's seen New Zealand and the US, which is more countries than like 80% of Australians have ever <laughs> She's pretty lucky. She is. She's a, she's a real traveller. She's been around Australia a bit. We're taking her down to Sydney this weekend. And uh, so lots of travel. I've been to um, – I just got back from New Zealand last week. I had uh, four ceremonies uh, over in Queenstown, which is the best little part of the world, honestly. It's um, I, I wish everyone had the opportunity to go and work over there. It's just so good for your soul. It's good. Nice. I like it. Very and, good. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of – I'm sure that like a million pieces of news have happened and we're going to address a few of those as topics in the show, but what's your uh, – what's the Sarah Aird State of the Union? Because I feel had, – had you started – like had you publicly been doing Cert 4 when we recorded last? Well, we did announce it in the last podcast, which was super exciting, and so I had my first Cert 4 uh, group in February – uh, who came and hang, hung out with me for five days. It was just like a pilot, really small group, only three of them, uh, which was good for me to, you know, test the way my material ran and go, you know, that didn't work. I need to switch that around and, uh, you know, a few things like that. Uh, and so they're just now off working on their assessment tasks and I'm continuing to make, you know, quality changes to the materials and, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's happening, which is nice. It's a lot of work, but that's totally fine. And, yeah, here I am being a trainer. Do you care to kind of just like in a split second open up on what the um, in-class and out-of-class aspect looks like for yours? Because I feel like anyone who's done the Cert for has got a different story about their education uh, me, I haven't done the cert for. I was pre-cert for. I'm a, uh, you know, back uh, back back when us oldies were just doing it because we felt like it. <laughs> God, I sound old. Um, but uh, I, I know that I've had some people surprised at the out of class elements. And but 
but I feel every RTO and every trainer has a slightly different config of this. And so what's yours? So basically you can do the entire course by distance, although I don't really recommend that because uh, basically then you have to do everything on your own. So the way I prefer to run it is with like a kickstart session. So you do five days in a classroom with me, uh, maximum class size of 12 students, so not too big. Uh, so it doesn't, you don't kind of get lost in the crowd. And I really use that five days to download as much of my brain as possible into yours. Uh, so I really use that time to teach rather than using any of it for doing the assessment tasks, because I figure everybody works at their own pace and in their own way when it comes to actually doing assessment tasks. I prefer to be able to spend as much time as possible actually teaching the content that you need to know to be a celebrant. So obviously I teach the content that's in the manual, but I also go, oh, and this is the way I do it. And here's my little tips and tricks and all that kind of thing. So five days in the classroom, massive download. I, the, the girls were a bit overwhelmed by the end of it, but that's to be expected. There's a lot to know. And then uh, you have 12 months to do the assessment tasks. The assessments for the current Cert 4 are very, I'm going to use the word onerous. They are quite onerous. Uh, when I did my Cert 4 was the last iteration of it. I think I wrote one ceremony in the classroom in a group of three and we performed it. And then I wrote one ceremony out of the classroom and I didn't even have to perform that. These guys have to do, have to do, meeting, uh, write ceremony, rehearsal and perform and paperwork for five weddings, three non-marriage ceremonies, so a naming, a vow renewal and an 80th birthday, two memorials and two funerals. So it's 12 uh, in total, 12 ceremonies in total. They have to perform 10 of those and that's not even everything. They have to write a business plan. They have to answer lots of knowledge questions. So there's a lot of work. The hope is, of course, that uh, the students coming out of this Cert 4 will be more prepared uh, to walk into life as a working celebrant, that they'll be ready to go. They'll have some experience under their belts. They'll have... Uh, some they'll have had some opportunities to work with a PA system. They have to have done at least one ceremony in front of at least 20 people. So they've got some experience and some practice, you know, working with a crowd and, and some practice standing up in front of lots of people and talking. So, yeah, it just, there's quite a lot of work. So we, we imagine, we think that a Cert 4 should take five to 600 hours. I give my students 12 months. I know some RTOs are six months, some are nine months. I give mine 12 months to do the work because I do think it's quite a lot. Uh, and But it's, it's eminently doable. It's not hard. None of it's hard. It's not rocket science. So uh, it's not that it's particularly difficult. There's just a lot of it. So And I don't say that to scare people off. I do want to encourage people who are interested that, yeah, it sounds like a lot of work, but it's really worthwhile and it's useful and it's going to, yeah, be useful for your career. Having said that, uh, I do have 
plenty of suggestions I could make <laughs> when next time the Cert 4 is reviewed, which I think is in 2021. Uh, I have plenty of suggestions for changes. So, yeah, but basically that's how my Cert 4 works. Hang on. Can you hear me? Good. <laughs> Sorry, I was uh, – <laughs> I uh, <laughs> let me explain – we live under the flight path of um, of the Gold Coast Airport, and a flight came over, and I thought I would um, shield your ears from that and uh, just help you kind of um, experience life without a plane flying over you. Was it? Was it? Was that good? Was that a Appreciate blessing? It. Yeah, good. Yeah, okay. I, I certainly didn't hear it, so good. that's good. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, feedback back onto the Cert Four. Um, because I feel like most Australians, when they hear of a Cert 4 course, like if you're doing a Cert 4 in IT, uh, they imagine that to be um, 100% classroom-based. So they start the classroom, do like, sure, there might be some homework, but uh, but at the end they get a Cert 4 in IT or whatever the Cert 4s are available today. Uh, is there is there a reason that, that all of the RTOs have the short classroom period for the Cert 4 and then the 12 or 6 or 9 months uh, assessment period? Because I, there just are too many assessment tasks. Sure, I mean, I could hire a classroom and you could come and sit in it, uh, you know, once a week for 12 months, but I feel like that would be a waste of everybody's time. Uh, you know, the when I did my Cert 4 in training and assessment, it was 18 weeks of three hours a week and then that was only half the work. We still had to go back and redo all the assessment tasks that we'd done, but on a different unit. So I think that there, there's, <clears throat> there's an amount of content to teach and then there's an amount of assessments to do. And the number of like the amount of assessment work is way higher than the amount of content to teach. So I think it would actually be given how differently people work, I think it would be a waste of everyone's time if we all sat in a classroom for, you know, a day a week for 12 months. Some people would be finished <clears throat> in three months. Some people it would take the full 12 months. Uh, I don't think that would be – it wouldn't be very economically viable either. It costs a lot of money to hire space. Uh, so it would, it would cost me – like it w- I would have to charge a lot more. So I think that's kind of all – connected together that there's just such a lot of work to get through and everyone works differently and at their own pace. And I guess is that why, you know, your uh, your common garden variety take doesn't offer the Cert 4 and Celebrancy because um, it, it's a different kind of unit. A different kind of learning, that's right. And I and probably the um, there is a TAFE down in Melbourne that has just started offering it this year, Box Hill TAFE. Now, I was quite fascinated to see their costing structure. They're saying it's a full-time course for 12 months, which, okay, yeah, sure, if, you, if everybody sat in a classroom and did it, uh, it would take that, could take that long, which shouldn't, really shouldn't. Uh, but they are charging, the, the average charge for a Cert 4 in Australia is about $2,000. It's anywhere between 1400 and two six, depending on who you do it with. Box Hill TAFE is charging $7,000 wow. for non-government subsidised uh, places and 3500 for government subsidised. Wow. I don't know how they're going to get any students for well, that but amount. Particularly because of... 
Um, I've talked to three different students of a uh, Brisbane-based RTO that does the Cert for recently, and they all chose it because it was the cheapest. Yeah, um, that's right. And uh, you know, and and there's there's commentary on that subject. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that I have, and uh, but I'm, I'm not going to express at the moment. Uh, which I mean, it just it just really fascinates me the whole choosing the cheapest thing, even as a celebrant. Like I. And I had a really good meeting with a couple. Everything was awesome, and then they said that like, we just decided to go with someone cheaper. And and I hope, well, what I hope is actually happening is there was other disc, there was other issues, and they're not making a price. They're not making a price based decision because I know so much. So much of life, it's um making a price based decision just isn't always the best decision. I, no, I, I, I can tell you, like literally, I'm I'm in the middle. Like at some point soon in this podcast, we're probably going to have to pause it. Um, because I've got tradies coming to make a quote, and uh, and if I chose tradies based on price, um, a I'd have a terrible life, and b I'd have a terrible house. And <laughs> I can even give you this example from where we've got, we've had a pool being a pool is being installed in our house, or or constructed, or whatever the whatever the word is for making a pool appear. There is there will be a pool eventually, um, and that. Do pro- you live you live at the beach? Why do you need a pool? So we can just swim without um, uh, stingers and all that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's stingers here. You'll okay. die if you enter the ocean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we were having a pool installed, and uh, and we got two quotes. Uh, one was twenty five thousand. One was thirty thousand. And I wanted to go for thirty because I just had a better vibe. Britt wanted to go for twenty five because they came recommended and it was cheaper. And uh, and I can tell you, we should have gone for thirty because the twenty five is going to end up costing us both thirty five. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the, yeah. this whole process is just bloody terrible. Um, and so, I don't know. I, like, I I'm thankful for the couples that choose me every year, and that they can see that. Um, but I, yeah. I just feel sorry for the people that choose based on price because often you're actually going to be financially worse off. Uh, totally. And I can tell you that of the um the you know, m- many of the RTOs that are that are competing on price, um, like they have, they haven't got Sarah Air teaching, and and there's there's a small number of celebrants in this country that I would recommend to train under, and Sarah is probably 100 percent of them at the moment. Um, and so, Thanks. I don't know, it, it makes me sad to see celebrants entering the industry with wrong information. Yeah, or even, even if you, like, because I think this is a big part of training. Uh, we're we're going to actually, we'll, we'll reference it now. We'll kind of, we'll segue into it. But my segue into it is this, is that if you stood in this classroom and recorded every second being spoken, I'm sure it would all be true and accurate, I, I reckon. I hope, like, if it's wrong, then that, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but I, I'm sure it's true and accurate. Uh, but the method of telling it and the context that you tell it in and the the tone that you communicate things in also matters. And and I think what happens when you get these terrible trained celebrants is they end up doing what's ma- what's mentioned in the Marriage Celebrant Matters this week, um, the uh, email PDF from the Attorney General's um, Office uh, Marriage Celebrant section, that uh, people are mailing in bloody marriage certificates to the AGD office. What? <laughs> How does it happen? I, yeah. I imagine it's, bad, it's just bad training. Like... that's all it can be. Yeah, it's funny. I was having this discussion with uh, a group last night and I'm I'm beginning to realise that, yes, there absolutely is bad training, but you can also tell somebody something until you're blue in the face and they just don't take it in. Yeah. Uh, So there's bad training and there's also bad learning and – it's uh, all I can do is be the very best trainer that I can and produce the very best materials 
uh, to the highest quality and the most accuracy and hope, (laughs) just hope that that will help. But yes, uh, I don't really know. Uh, I'm very, I I was very amazed when I read the Marriage Celebrant Matters yesterday to see a whole section saying, please don't send your marriage paperwork to us at the Attorney General's Department. We are not BDM. Please send it to BDM. I don't know how celebrants are even thinking that's a thing that you send your paperwork to AGD, but please don't do that. Basically, just don't do it. Send it to BDM. And if you don't understand the difference between AGD and BDM, I'm just going to give you a little rundown right now. The Commonwealth Attorney General's Department is the one that is responsible for running the Marriage Celebrant Program. Uh, Commonwealth Registered Marriage Celebrants are appointed under the Marriage Celebrant Program and we are, the program is administered by the Marriage Law and Celebrant Section. Oh, wow. That was a plane going over. That's really loud. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so it's administered by the Marriage Law and Celebrant Section and that's the part the people who we pay our annual fee to, the $240. That's the people who put out the Marriage Celebrant Matters newsletter. They uh, write emails. They do to the entire celebrant population every now and again. They're the people who write the guidelines on the Marriage Act. They administer the program. Birth, deaths and marriages, there's a separate one in each state and they register the marriage. So uh, once we send the paperwork into them, they create a record in their database that registers the marriage and it's on record forever and a day. And uh, that's what the registries of birth, deaths and marriages do. They are state-based organisations. They don't have anything to do with the marriage law. Uh, or with guidelines or anything like that. They don't have anything to do with the way we actually solemnise marriages unless it comes to the paperwork uh, that we're going to be sending them. But that's the basic difference. We don't pay a fee to BDM. So when BDMs do something that we find annoying, there's no point saying, what are we paying our fee for? Because we're not paying it to BDMs, we're paying it to the Attorney General's Department so good. and they're totally separate so organisations. So it, there's also no point complaining to BDM about the size of the boxes on the NOIM, that it's too small to write the address in. They don't create the form. The Commonwealth Attorney General's Department Marriage Law and Celebrant Section creates the forms. So there's no point having those discussions with BDM because they're like, it's not our form, guys. We just register it. We just register the information. So basically, uh, one way to think about it is anything leading up to the marriage and including the marriage ceremony is dealt with by the Attorney General's Department. Anything from the conclusion of the marriage ceremony onwards, when you send off your paperwork and the marriage gets registered, that's dealt with by birth, deaths and marriages. Hopefully that will help. So there's just a little overview. Uh, Happy to expand on that if anybody has any other questions. Talking about marriage celebrant matters, um, I I was very uh, excited to see an inclusion in the Marriage Celebrant Matters uh, in regards to something that um, that we have written about on the Celebrant Institute, uh, something that I've been um, uh, harassing the, the Attorney General's Office about for a while. Uh, and so um, uh, being the uh, legal oracle here, uh, could you expand on what on earth I'm talking about? Mate, it's your thing. Yeah, you I know. explain on it. I don't know. But it, 
All right, fine. Because you, you're, you're the little, I'm like, I don't want to get all boasting. It's, yeah, I just. <laughs> <laughs> but you've created this change and it's very exciting. So basically, we all know that the Marriage Act tells us that we have to see certain documents before we can marry a couple. We have to see a birth certificate or a passport. We have to um, confirm their identity. We have to see divorce certificates, yada, yada. The. Uh, guidelines on the Marriage Act tell us that we need to see original copies of those documents. We need to be able to hold them and feel them and that looking at them over Skype is not good enough. Well, Josh found a little point in the Electronic Transactions Act, uh, which is a Commonwealth uh, legislation as well that says basically that you can look at documents over something like Skype and that that's good enough. Uh, so he wrote to the Attorney General's Department and he also wrote to many other people and after they completely misunderstood him on multiple occasions, eventually he managed to get them to understand what he was on about and they went, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause, yeah cause, you can do that. Because what yeah. they thought, they, they thought that I wanted to cite a name over Skype, which is a like, separate conversation. Yeah, and you and you wanted to cite them signing the name over Skype, which is not what you wanted to do at all. Yeah, you just wanted them to hold up the passport to the, the computer camera and for you to look at it, because if they're holding it, like, what's the difference? Because that's what the Electronic Transactions Act allows. Regardless of the people who say, I need to feel it so that I know it's not a forgery, I'd have no freaking idea if something was a forgery. Yeah. I'm not that good and technical about all that kind of thing. So touching and feeling it actually makes no difference to me. I need to see it and the Electronic Transactions Act allows for that. So there's now – Josh got an email back from them going, oh, yeah, we might change the guidelines. And he wrote about that on the Celebrant Institute. And then – Uh, In Marriage Celebrant Matters this week, there's a whole section about electronic documentation and about the fact that you don't have to keep the copy of the Neumann stuff if you've uploaded it to BDM, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go into that because I've talked about it before. But it says, uh, the Electronic Transactions Act does indeed apply to the Marriage Act and MLCS is developing a fact sheet to provide current guidance to marriage celebrants about their responsibilities in an electronic environment. That is Josh's doing. Yay us. Thank you so much. Nice oh, work. Hang on, I think I've got a... Uh... Oh, no, I don't have it. Um, <laughs> where are we? There we go. <laughs> See how authentic that was? That was super authentic. That was so authentic. That was, I that was, it. That was the, the, the live <laughs> audience we, we recorded in front of. <laughs> So that's super cool and watch this space because I will be watching very closely for when that fact sheet comes out and when it comes out we will be going, hey, this is Josh's doing, so yay. If we can touch briefly on something, because did you see a – like because you messaged me about it a few hours before it turned up in my email and uh, you don't have to divulge what your uh, inside world is there. Um, (laughs) No (laughs) – my surname starts with A and yours starts with W. Oh, right. Okay. And right. so, it, you know, an automatic, like a bulk email to 9,000 people probably doesn't go out all at once. Yeah, okay, no, 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 goes that's out fair. in batches. Okay, well, so, so I assumed that you were, that you saw some trainers. Th- I, I, I don't know. I just nah. made an assumption. Uh, no, nah, we don't have anything special like that. So there was, like, I felt that there was a hint 
that may be possibly in the future. Uh, so I signed a mortgage contract without ever seeing, I never went to a Suncorp bank. I never, I just never did anything. We just did an electronic signing online and, yeah. and, and they gave me a couple of hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Blame I, you. Let me, yeah, they, they lent me. They'll have to give it back eventually. So, um, it, just if, for anyone listening, I'm not saying this is the way it is now or I'm not, a, I, I, I don't know. But the, the whole electronic signing that way, I, I, I wonder if that's something worth pushing for or something because they kind of hinted at that-ish. It, look, it does because it, the sentence before the one I just read out says that available technology enables documentation to be completed electronically, including receiving, citing and lodging marriage documents. I think that we should not get too excited about the prospect of online electronic signatures. I think that might be a step too far at this point, Uh, given they've been working on the marriage documentation for since January 2015, and we may get a new one by the end of June this year is their current promise. Uh, I'm I'm just not holding my breath that online electronic signatures are on the way. I also, you know, I feel a bit nervous about online electronic signatures. How would you really witness who signed it? Yeah, I know. Like that just, like those things just make me nervous. So there's issues and I don't, I think that we should um, take small wins. (laughs) So being able to cite documents over Skype or something. So that means that, you know, if you've got an interstate couple and you're not going to see them until the wedding day, they don't need to bring their documents to the wedding. That's just a massive game changer. And it makes life so much easier because we know there's been lots and lots of times when you've told couples multiple times, make sure that you pack your birth certificate, whatever, to bring it with you, and they turn up and they haven't got it. And it's just stressful for everyone that they have to, like, find someone who can go and break into their house and get the document and bring it to – like, it's just stressful. So being able to cite that stuff over Skype or FaceTime or similar, we're not talking about – scanning it and emailing it and that being sufficient, we're talking about actually citing the original document over a video chat. So, but, you know, emailing it might be a thing too. We don't, we just don't know what they're going to decide and we need to just take the small wins, I think. And that's a really, it's a big small win. My my read of the Electronic Transactions Act is is, is that a scan would be sufficient, and and my read is to, is too. However, I would be a bit more concerned about the ability to you know Photoshop and stuff is so prevalent these days, and it's really easy to make changes yeah. to scan documents. Uh, so I'd be I personally would be less comfortable accepting a scan as as final proof. Yeah, and also. Don't forget that um, that if a person misidentifies themselves, that's a fraudulent act on their behalf. And Correct. so, so just just say, and God, I'm, I'm just sure this wouldn't even happen, particularly if you're charging enough. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> like, like if if you're dangling down the bottom, you know, the couple of hundred dollars celebrant, then they're, hey, this probably happens every second day. <laughs> but if you're if you're charging, you know, a, a fee um, that is worth it, I, I'm sure you don't get these people. But if if they're willing to go to a point where they forge passports and that kind of thing. And they come to you with them, and uh, like it's there's there's nothing in the Marriage Act or the guidelines about you having to detect a fraud. Oh, totally, totally, and I I'm with you on that. But I still think that we are required to do 
our uh, very best. Totally, yeah, totally. Like yeah. there's due, due due diligence to be done there. Totally, yeah. it's just a uh, just. I don't want people laying awake at night like oh, Josh and Brett came to me and I think he's a fraud and like like if he is then that, that's not your cross to bear. No, that's on him. Absolutely. If you have done the right thing and seen what seems to you to be an original legit passport, you've done your bit. That that's you know we're not ex- you're right we're not expected to detect forgery or to you know if something feels a bit off about a document then sure you should. Um, you should ask questions, but in general, it's not up to us to decide whether or not a document is legit. If we've said, show us a passport and they've showed us something that looks like a passport, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, totally. So uh, talking about other, um, other big changes, uh, was there anything else in the marriage, marriage celebrate matters? Nah, I, think, I think we captured everything so. there. Uh, I mean, you know, they're doing really exciting things like changing the colour scheme of the Celebrant portal. Can we talk about that Um, for a second? Because I read that and, and like, (laughs) portal changes. I'm like, all righty, let's talk portal changes. Did you literally just fucking update me about the colour of the portal? (laughs) Like, have you dedicated effort to this? Like, like, please tell me they spent at least $80,000 on this portal. Otherwise, it is not a valid website. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, they did last year change the colour scheme of the entire Attorney General's Department website from a weird orange-brown to blue. So, you know, they did that last year. Now they're just pulling that through to the portal. And there are a couple of other small changes to the online portal, such as when you update your details, apparently that's going to go immediately live on the online public register. That's smart. Of, which is cool. I kind of had thought it would have done that already, to be perfectly honest. So, you know, that's a change. That's cool. But uh, changing this colour scheme, I'm, I'm, I'm just not – I'm not thrilled about that, and I'm not thrilled that they spent, um, you know, a paragraph telling me about it. Because you're reading the whole paragraph thinking this is going to go somewhere. Like, there's no way this would not go somewhere. And then it just doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't it just anywhere. doesn't go anywhere. God. Anyway, yes, so uh, I think that's everything in Marriage Celebrant Matters. But, yes, another big change in the world of celebrancy, particularly for those of us in Victoria, is the new Burstessa Marriages online registration system, which is called Registry Information Online, also known as RIO. So RIO went live on the 19th of February, and let's just say it has not been smooth sailing. Anyone who's listening to this in Victoria, I imagine will be nodding your head right now. It's possibly the worst uh, changeover of any IT system that I've ever witnessed in my life, which is saying something because I've seen some pretty bad ones. It feels a little bit like they never tested it. It feels like they never had a celebrant who, to like look at it and go, hey, have you thought about this? I believe that there's been a celebrant user group working with them for four and a half years. I don't know who those people are. I don't know if BDM just didn't listen to them. Uh, but basically it's kind of a nightmare. So uh, when you ask me what I've been up to, the vast majority of what I've been up to for the last almost four weeks, has been answering my phone and saying, hello, Rio Help Desk, because that's really what I've become, uh, the Rio Help Desk, because it's too hard to get through to the actual Rio Help Desk because they're very busy and inundated. So people ring me, which is totally fine, and I'm very happy to help. 
Uh, I ran a training session a few weeks ago, had a, had 30 odd people through in a day, just showing them how to use the system. I've uh, developed a video. So I filmed the, uh, the screen while I was entering a marriage from start to beginning. It's about an hour long and there's a transcript of it as well because in a former life I was a transcript typist and that was okay. And so you can download that from the Celebrant Institute shop. Uh, and basically, yeah, I'm, I'm currently writing a blog post about everything that I know about Rio, all the issues that I've discovered with it and any responses that I've had from BDM so far. But it's kind of huge. Uh, the system is not very intuitive. It's not laid out well. It's quite different from the previous system. Uh, it's just all a bit of a mess. So, uh, yeah, I have a few suggestions for what you can do if you're struggling with Rio. My first one is to just drop me a message or uh, shoot me an email uh, because it's probably something that I've come across already and I can probably help you with it. My second one, obviously, is to download my video because people are saying that it's useful. So hopefully that would help you. But if you're really stuck, there are some problems that I can't help you with because they're problems in the way your account has been set up by BDM. Uh, obviously, they've had to set up a lot of new user accounts because it's not just the celebrants. It's all of the uh, medical practitioners who do death certificates and funeral directors who register deaths and all sorts of other things. So there's a lot of new stakeholder accounts and they, they haven't all been set up perfectly. So in the event that you don't have any marriage rights in your drop-down marriage rights box or if your information about you is not pre-filling in the celebrant details section at the top or if it says celebrant inactive or if there are any spelling mistakes in your address and things like that, you need to call BDM and they will they can fix it for you. They're actually, I know that it takes ages to get through to them in general, but they have now implemented a stakeholder inquiries line. So basically you still ring the normal number, which is 1300 369 367. And then you press three for stakeholder inquiries. It will tell you that you're like 44th in the queue, but I think that's the whole queue, not the stakeholder queue, because they're answering that stakeholder line within about 10 or 15 minutes at the moment, which is really pretty good given you can spend literally hours on the uh, on hold on the main line. So ring that. You'll probably speak to either Hannah or Stacy. Both of them are lovely and super helpful. They might need to log into your account uh, to make changes. They might need to make changes in the back end. Uh, it's totally fine to give them your username and password. Just change your password as soon as they're as soon as they've jumped out of it, and they can help you. They're being they're really really helpful. My biggest problem is that. They're obviously getting the same questions from a lot of people and they're just not disseminating the answers. So <clears throat> we all know that, that a major problem with this system is the new occupation list. We are locked in to choosing an occupation from the list we're provided with, uh, from the drop down list, and we can't put in other or anything like that. Now, they've explained this to me and to other people. What we're used to putting in is job titles and they actually want occupations. So, for example, uh, the BDM lady said to me her job title is Deputy Director of Operations, but her occupation is public servant. So she would put public servant on the list. 
now we have been doing that because nobody told us that that's what we're supposed to be doing. And instead of disseminating that information and saying, we're not going to change the list. The list is as it is. You have to choose an occupation. You might need to drill down a bit further with your couples to find out what they actually do. Instead of asking them any of that, they're, or disseminating that information to all of us, they're just kind of drip feeding it to the people who asked the question. And that's like, I can't imagine that that's very efficient for them. So uh, I am working on a blog post at the moment for the Celebrant Institute with basically every question that I've asked BDM since the 19th of February, which is a lot, and the responses that I've had so far. Uh, I was lucky enough to be at an event run by the Celebrant Eastern Group, which is Kate Haley and Tracy O'Connor's little group. And uh, Liz Brande, the Deputy Director of Operations from BDM, came along and had a session with us on the 3rd of March, which is a couple of weeks ago. And she had my list of questions that I'd already sent her. And she basically went through that and answered them, which was really helpful of her. So I have answers to a lot of my questions and now I'm trying to write it all up so I can get it out there and people can read it and hopefully stop asking BDM the same questions because obviously the more people who ask a question, the more questions they have to answer and the longer it takes them to get to anything. We know they're about 10 days behind in their inbox at the moment, at least. So yeah, don't get too uh, bugged about it. We've got, there's, you know, we're still going to have another two or three months to transition to the new system. There is help available, me, a few other people, uh, and we'll get there. That um, that blog post we, we we might make it open for everyone. Just go. I feel yeah, like this, I is think a bit we of might a, this is a bit of like an emergency circumstance. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like it, it all I seems think a so bit, too. A little bit crazy and a little bit weird, but I I, I just uh, I find it so hard to believe that uh, like I don't know what their budget was for it. I'm assuming it's in the multiple hundreds of thousands. Like I know I know the original um, budget for what Queensland rolled out was in the multiple hundreds of thousands. And the only only reason I know that is because our money had to get re-diverted to stop bikies. And so once we had stopped the bikies, we then got the money back, apparently. Um, oh, so which is, good. Which is weird and beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you would just test these things. Like, uh, like I, get, I give a lot of credit to Queensland BDM for uh, – um, inviting people to beta test and they, they reached out to me and because they identified as me as someone that could maybe help find some bugs and I went to town on them like I feel really sorry for Tracy um, like in the end I hope they've got a pretty good product but I, I went to town on her and, and, and she goes oh really is that a thing you're doing like yeah that's a th- well that's a thing I yeah. do and if other people aren't doing it then they, they should and and just all that kind of thing and I'm still in constant communication with them like uh, actually you'll appreciate this uh, uh, when when I had that first meeting with Tracy, I said, oh, there's no area to put um, passport numbers or birth certificate numbers. And she's like, I don't want birth certificate numbers and passport numbers. Uh, we've identified it, um, identified that that's a um, privacy breach in our side. We don't actually need the number. We just need to know you've seen it. And uh, and so if you have, then we trust you. I'm like, okay, cool. All righty. So uh, I've... Uh, because in the in the online system, there's nowhere to put numbers, mm-hmm. and then in the initial norms that were coming out, there was just there was nowhere to put a number. Like obviously, you could scribble it in the margins or something, but there was no put number here. 
Somewhere along the line, though, someone's thought, no, they need to take numbers. And I don't know whether that's an AGD issue or – but someone's decided they need to take numbers. No one's said anything. Uh, and maybe I'll, maybe I was the only person Tracy told. I, I don't know. Uh, but for the last uh, – what, Queensland's been going for, a, God, at least a, a year, hasn't it? Yeah, about um, that. So for the last year, I've been not putting passport numbers and birth certificate numbers and driver's license numbers on my names. And uh, just last week, they rejected one. They go, rejected, no passport numbers. Like, hang on. Um, and uh, <laughs> turned, and, and so the the head of the department calls me and goes, because uh, I wrote back and they, they questioned two things. They said, occupation, um, they said, occupation should not be mother, it should be home duties. And, uh, and they questioned that I hadn't put the password numbers down. Obviously, it's not accurate. And I said, well, actually, I think mother, you'll find mother is a perfectly fine, a perfectly cromulent occupation. And uh, Well, you couldn't be mother in the Vic system. Yeah. So anyway, she yeah. goes, she goes, you're right. We'll take mother. Uh, but you, you still need to put the passport in. And, uh, and, and, I, and I pushed back and said, Tracy said this. And she goes, well, I'm the head of the department. We need the passport number. I'm like, okay, well, there's a fresh change that okay. no one really talks about. <laughs> Well, so, that's very handy, isn't it? Oh, it's lovely. So I, I'm always pushing back with the Queensland system, and I hope, I hope that, I hope that if there's a new celebrant coming into Queensland today, and they open the system, they're like, "This is really good," because people like myself in Queensland and you in Victoria and, and others, I'd like, I'm yeah, no way I'm saying like there's so many of us pushing back, uh, but we've we've got that opportunity to do that, and I, th- yeah. I think we should. Absolutely, and you know, I had a really good attempt at breaking the Vic system a few weeks ago and, you know, did all sorts of combinations of drop-down box choices and things that I would, you know, not do on a regular basis just to see what would happen. And I found a lot of really interesting bugs. So, for example, when you, um, in the evidence of date and place of birth uh, drop-down, if you choose statutory declaration, it pulls up, it makes live a field that says, what's your reason for using a stat deck? And the reasons you have to choose from are a bunch of conjugal statuses. Now, the reason you use a stat deck for evidence of date and place of birth is not because the person was divorced. It's because they're a refugee or they, you know, there's no documents because of civil war or whatever it was. So um, clearly nobody's actually done those things to find that there's a bug there. Uh, So I've sent, as I say, a lot of emails. I think I put all of my questions into a table and it came out to about seven pages uh, of questions that I've sent. So yeah, you know, hopefully that will make a difference and things will start to change. Uh, We do have to realise that with the Victorian system, they've changed the whole birth, death and marriages system at once. and I know that that sounds a bit ridiculous and why would you do that and why would you not stagger it? It's because previously in Victoria, the databases were siloed. So there was a single birth database, a separate death database and a separate marriage database. And now they're trying to bring them all into one database. So they really had to go live with everything at the same time, uh, which means they just haven't kind of had the chance to concentrate on any one uh section to get it right or to even beat a test or anything like that to get it all right before we went live. So yeah, it's a bit of a mess, but we'll get there. We will get there. It will be fine. I promise it's not a disaster. It's just not very intuitive and it's got some bugs and we're just going to work through ironing them out. On a side note from, from this, uh, 
if anyone's listening to this and they've got a bit of like they're a little bit nerdy or they just they like politics or I don't know if if the back end uh, conversation about BDM going online is interesting to you because it's interesting to me from a non celebrant point of view from a nerdy Australian politics point of view. There's a book called The Frustrated State which I've just finished reading um, uh, and uh, Australian obviously Australian book because it's about ten different I think it's about ten different areas of technology policy in Australia over the last decade or so, like things like the MBN and privacy stuff and gaming and just all these uh, techie areas that have been ignored or misappropriated by um, by Australian government, state and federal and even local. I, I found it really interesting. Obviously, it was written before the BDM RIO and hasn't, it hasn't got the Queensland. Like, it doesn't go as low level as you know, the BDM department. But just a lot of the bungled technology decisions that our government has made or is making. And I find that really interesting because it's never as simple as you make out to be. Like there's always numerous issues like, like who, who, who in the world is talking about the Queensland online BDM system and bikies, but that's a real thing. (laughs) It's, it's just, it's weird and beautiful and funny. and, And I find it an interesting conversation so that when people, start talking about, oh, I can't believe we got the MBN when we haven't got hospitals and all, all mm. these different weird conversations. If you can actually talk about it with um, with intellect, it's actually a really beautiful thing to talk about because uh, there's there's so much nuance to it all. It's interesting. We love nuance. We love it. Awesome. My middle name. So that's the delight of Rio. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about today, and I think this will probably take us to the end of the episode, Josh, is a question that we had from one of our delightful listeners uh, and it's about going full time as a celebrant. Uh, she's got a bunch of questions. How do you approach conversations with your full time boss about reducing hours and taking days off for weddings without being fired or being viewed as not being a team player? How do you pay your mortgage? When do you cut your day job out altogether? And how do you afford life? This, she did say, you know, she sent this in as a Celebrant Institute question, but she did say it might be a bit bigger than a blog post. So if you wanted to talk about it on the podcast, please go ahead. And that's what we've decided to do because it is a really big topic. I think that for Josh and I, all we can really do is tell our own stories and how we've managed to make this work. And hopefully that will help a little bit that, that other people can take something out of that. So, Josh, do you want to tell us about your story of becoming a full-time celebrant? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, obviously, I planned for it for about 15 years. I saved 10 years worth of wages. And then just <laughs> once I'd reached those milestones, I calmly and uh, very coolly uh, resigned from my job over a 12-year period. Uh, no, none of that no, happened. No, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I, um, I feel that there's so much well-intentioned um it's like so well-intentioned uh, so please don't be offended if you've given this advice uh sarah or anyone so there's so much beautiful um in, uh, intention and wisdom in saying you know like have this really beautiful plan and save for this much wage and that kind of thing uh, because there's like that's kind of the conversation we're going to have but i just wanted to prefix it all by saying in the end you're just going to go out on the you know a, a very ask that you've been given sliding on the ground freaking the hell out um because that's kind of the beauty of life and business so so i will give my story and whatnot but i just want to prefix it all by saying that that there's no pre-medicated clinical stunning beautiful way to do this um you've just got to 
go out on fire <laughs> and yeah, see totally. how it works out. Um, totally. And I'll, I'll prefix all of that by saying as well that that in Australia you are like well, this is one I'm going to say this is one of the best countries on the planet to go self-employed full time. Uh, because you've got the freedom to, to you, you've got the freedom of America to do it, but you've got the socialism of, of uh, you know the Nordic states to, to do it in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. Like, like like if everything falls over, highly possible that your your mum or your brother or friends will take you in. There's a pretty good social system that'll keep you you know uh, put a few dollars in your pocket and keep you medicated. Like it's a really a, this is the best country in the planet to go full time self employed. Uh, so I just wanted to say that before I told my story because I think it's important. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so I'll um, I'll tell a really abbreviated story up until the the day that it all happened, and then I'll kind of also go on from there. Uh, but I, I became a celebrant in May two thousand and nine, so almost ten years now. Oh, we're nearly there. Nearly there. Uh, so um, I I never had any intention of going full time. Uh, at that time, I couldn't see any full-time celebrants um for those of you that were full-time in 2009 it's cool i just i didn't know you existed like social media wasn't such a big thing and 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 even being full-time as a celebrant i don't think it was like a, a thing like they're, they're, i'm sure that i've got no doubt there were celebrants that were doing it full-time uh but but i didn't see any and i also didn't feel extremely accepted by those few celebrants i did try to reach out to um and so i never had any intention of going full-time I thought this is this could just be a cool thing I do for a few friends. Uh, the financial implications were different then. There was no six hundred dollar annual fee. There was just the OPD that I had to do, um, and uh, and it was fine. So I I just became a celebrant and then did a whole lot of nothing about it for a number of years. Uh, Britt and I got married in two thousand and twelve, and uh, and she she knew I was a celebrant. and she said I reckon you could be pretty good at this. And so she was just encouraging. She's a really encouraging, lovely person. And so I was feeling encouraged, and then we got an opportunity to go to a wedding fair. And uh, at the time, I felt I was very special. They're like, we've got one space left, and it could be yours for $1,500. And I'm like, oh, my God, they want me there. They they really like me. <laughs> God, I was so stupid. Yeah. Na- naive, naive is the Naive. Uh, so we went to the wedding fair, and that was a great success. I um, I literally decided on my price that afternoon before the fair started. I thought I'd be five fifty because that's I don't know. I just made up a number, and uh, and I and Britt and I had a plan that um that that if we could just if we could at least recoup the cost of the fair, then that'd be great. And if we sell a few more weddings, then we'll go on a nice holiday. And uh, so we wanted to sell three weddings, and out of a couple of thousand people attending a fair, we thought that might be possible. And uh, and from there, I thought I also need I need to have a sell so that when people come and talk to me, I've got a sell. So I've got a, like a pitch for them. So my pitch was, if you book me this week to be your celebrant, I'll MC your reception for free. So uh, so something that I that I now charge a lot of money for, I did for five fifty. And I booked 20 weddings out of that. So that, that was a real, that was a real jump start for me to go from zero to nothing, which is, um, I wanted to tell that part of the story because I feel that sometimes, uh, and, and I don't want to take away from anyone else's journey through this whole conversation. So please just, if you get offended, then please deal with it and have a coffee because I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not pointing at individuals here, uh, Jack or otherwise, because I actually don't know how much Jack charges. Um, but I, I know that she's, she's, she's not stupid and she's got a good business head on her shoulder. So I'm sure she's, she's already you know, doing something pretty good. But uh, I felt that it was important for me not to get money, but to get rungs on the board. And so I'm also not advocating for everyone to come into the market and undercharge 
but you know what? Like it did work for me. And so I came in and I charged 550 and I did 20 weddings. And that was a really good start for me to figure out uh, what my business looks like, or like what my booking process looks like, what, like, like who, do, who do I want to book, who don't I want to book. Uh, it was just, it was a really good time to get some wrongs on the board. You know, like a lot of the planes you've heard flying over me today are pilots that are literally, they touch down and then to take off again on the same, like in the same kind of movement and do a lap because they just need to get hours up in the plane. And, and I feel that particularly when you're starting out that you need to get some hours up in the plane. Um, and so, so that, that was my getting my hours up, but going full time was the play out of that over the next year and a half where I was doing weddings and weddings and people were booking me for Thursdays and Fridays and I was doing like like one or two little travel things. And I was taking time off from work. I worked for Fairfax Media at the time. And I was getting all my time off approved. Like I in no way wasn't doing anything dodgy at work. Uh, and also my work didn't have – it had a non-compete uh, clause in my contract to work for other radio stations, but it didn't have a non-compete clause about doing other businesses. And even so, I'd, everyone knew. Like I – in nowhere was a secret. It was a secret. I made sure that I was contractually okay and socially okay. Like I didn't want it to be weird because I'm not very good at lying or, or acting. And I don't know, I'm not good at secrets. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just needed to act in that authentic way. Uh, and so even I, I just wanted to make sure everyone at work was okay with it. So they were, um, but my general manager sat me down and there was a backstory to this, which I'll reveal in a second, but he sits me down and I'm, I'm completely innocent to the whole backstory. And he says, uh, okay, every, you're doing really good. Love the work you're doing and uh, everything's great. Um, all, of the, all of the time off you've been having is approved and it's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. But we kind of had the idea that if you're employed Monday to Friday, that you'd kind of be here, generally <laughs> speaking, Monday to Friday. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, yeah. How weird is that? And, uh, and he said, so I think you need to make a decision uh, about going um, uh, about quitting weddings and going full-time on radio because you see a lot of potential with you in radio and think you do a really good job. And, and, uh, and you know, I think we should, you should put the weddings to bed. And I thought, actually, I'm going to go the other way. Um, I left that meeting, rang Britt. I said, is this okay? She said, let's do it. I drafted a resignation letter, resigned that very minute. And that afternoon, 16 of my friends at work were made redundant. (laughs) So he's obviously trying to kind of look at who to make redundant and who not to make redundant. And he's like, I think we should keep Josh. Josh looks like a keeper. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so that, that was my little baptism of fire into, um, into going full time. Uh, so I was, I wasn't pushed, but uh, like I was pushed to the edge, but I jumped myself. And what I was really lucky about in the jump, um, and, and this is something I try to talk about when I talk about social media and creating content and advertising, is that it's all very much a long game. Because what happened over the next week or two was a 100% long game. There was nothing I could have done to make that happen that week, apart from the fact that I'd been playing a long game for a couple of years. See, I'd been blogging about weddings for a couple of years, and uh, you know, Facebooking and Instagramming, and I'd got like a slight name, a bit of a name, not much of a name, but something. And uh, and someone from the uh, the local community newspaper. So in in Brisbane, there was the Courier Mail, or there is the Courier Mail newspaper, and then they had like little sub local newspapers, which are free, the free kind of uh, weeklies. Yeah, like the and, Leader. 
Yeah, and so they were part of the Korean Mail, but they had their own publication. Uh, but sometimes if there was a good enough story in that, it would get elevated to the Korean Mail, either paper or online, that kind of thing. And sometimes you'll see it, if, if it's a good enough Korean Mail story, it'll make it to the news.com.au website. So that's kind of how News Corp works its stories. So uh, this is late November that I that I quit my job. Um, I've got a week. Uh, I've got about three weeks um, in lieu uh, but also, I um, I had so I had one week. I had to give four weeks notice. So I had to work one week, three weeks in lieu. So I worked the next week, and it was a shit week of work. Like it was, I clearly I'd made the wrong decision in everyone's eyes. So much so that on my last day at work, so I found I used to work uh, the the late shift. So the late shift was ten ten a.m. till um, uh, was it like seven p.m. or something like that, and uh, and so I go for a coffee at around three p.m. And uh, I come back and my, my, my door pass doesn't work anymore. I've literally been fucking locked out of the office. Because, <laughs> I don't know, like someone thought that I was done. Like, oh, well, this is last day. I guess that's him leaving. And so I um, threw my 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 uh, lanyard at the um, front door and just went home. It was, luckily, I'd kind of packed up a few days before and all I had was my phone. And that was my pocket. So I thought, well, fine, buggies. So um, <laughs> I was already planning... For uh, for that that afternoon, um, my friend Malk and I were flying down to Melbourne to go to a uh, a show. So we got into Melbourne, and Monday morning, it turns out that that local newspaper that did the story about me a few I mean like they interviewed me about two months before they published their story that Monday morning um, on the digital part of their website, and also was going to be in the weekly on Wednesday. And the Korean Mail was having a really slow news week. It's the first week of December, and. Uh, and there's just not much news happening. And so they see this fun story about a celebrant who only does fun weddings, like no boring weddings. They uh, they see that story go live in the local. They put it on the Korean Mail um, website and also becomes a main item on the Korean Mail email out that week, that morning, which goes to all of the news stations. And so the next morning, I'm on the Today Show, um, <laughs> second day full-time employed on the bloody Today Show talking about doing fun weddings. And Crazy. I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have asked for that. I couldn't have created that, but it worked out really well. Um, so, so I feel like my story in no way can be replicated unless you look at the foundations and the foundations are um, always be telling your story. Like I feel like I've said this a few different times in the Celebrant Institute that advertising doesn't work, but, but marketing your story, telling your story authentically, having a narrative through everything you do on your blog and your social media and your podcasts, have a consistent narrative um, so that people can kind of pick up on that. They can buy into your story. So they might not be getting married today, but if they're getting married in five years' time, they're, they're, they're literally in your story. Um, and, and honestly, that's like almost, I would say 90% of my clients, I like that. They've been following me for years, and when they finally meet a person and they get married, they're like, you're my celebrant, which is, I. that's today's today's wedding. Um, I've got a wedding in Perth. They paid my full fee on, without even meeting me because they've been, they've been following me on social for so long. So, uh, but coming back to going full time, like I was, I'd, I'd been building the business slowly for so long, well, a year, which isn't so long, but I'd been building it slowly for for a year that when I decided to go full time, it wasn't just diving in the deep end. It was just, I was diving in the shallow end and things are pretty good. Yeah, that's good. That is good. But I, and you know, you're right in terms of them not being able to replicate exactly those circumstances, but what you can replicate is the, is the, you know, constantly being visible. The, you know, the constant social media posts and blog posts and just being visible uh, so that 
people notice you. Uh, that's totally replicable is the word, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you? awesome. What's, what's your story? Well, I'm kind of the total opposite. I walked into this knowing that I wanted it to be full-time. So uh, I've told my story about how I became a celebrant before. I was working as senior admin and left a toxic job and didn't know what to do next. I went to my cousin's wedding and was really inspired by the, by the celebrant. And I just, from the very beginning, I went, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to like, that's going to be my career for like forever. Uh, so I really started from the very beginning with that mindset. I really set myself up knowing that this was going to be a business for me. And so I, you know, I started the way I wanted it to, to kind of end up if you like. Um, but I am very, look, I'm lucky in a couple of respects. I'm lucky that I have parents who are exceptionally supportive and, uh, have been available to prop me up financially on the odd occasion I've needed it. I haven't needed it very often, but just on the odd occasion, but I'm also lucky in that I have a skill that means that I can work, uh, at all different kinds of hours. So basically I've been a professional transcript typist since oh, 2003, I think was my first transcript job. job. And uh, as a transcript typist now, uh, you can basically work for a company that sends you the audio over the internet and you type it up from wherever you are in the world and you email back your transcript and off you go, you get paid for it. So I was typing transcripts and I, even though we had to kind of commit to 20 hours a week, I could really do 20 hours at any time of the day or night. So it meant, that, or on the weekends. So it meant that I could be, you know, available to do weddings, funerals, whatever, whenever they came. Similar to Josh, I I got my kickstart with an expo. Uh, I got some advice from some celebrants who I'd met through various means who said, yep, start with an expo. It's a really great way of meeting a bunch of people and getting your name out there. And I took 10 bookings at my first show. So that really set me up uh, to go forward. And much like Josh, I priced myself quite cheap to get some runs on the board because for me, it was all about runs on the board rather than about making money in my first few years. Imagine if you had an MC for free, mate, you'd be a millionaire. Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will never MC a wedding if I can avoid it. Uh, so, and you know, I did take, so uh, in my first year, I had a temp role that was full time for six months. And then I did a, a contract for a few months working for Coca-Cola doing some event management stuff for them for a few months and I you know toyed with that but I kind of always went back to no I really want to be a celebrant and I know that I need to be available for that to happen so I always went back to the transcript typing and I was good enough uh, at the typing that they were quite prepared to work around my availability so I continued to make myself available for typing and for minute-taking jobs and every now and again someone would pop up who you, you know who I'd done some work for in the past and said, hey, can you come and do three months uh, running this event for my company? Yeah, sure, no problem. And all of that kind of happened. And then without making any my, – my plan, I guess, 
my vague plan was that by the time I kind of got to five years in business, I wanted to be full time. And I kind of had some numbers around what that looked like, how many weddings and funerals and how much training I needed to be doing a year to make that happen. Uh, And we'll talk about budgeting in a minute. But what actually happened is that I got to a point mid last year or even early last year where I was finding I had so much celebrant work that I actually just wasn't making myself available for transcript or minute taking work anymore. I wasn't putting myself on the roster because I didn't have time. I didn't have any time left in my week to do any of that work. So I kind of by default went, I think I'm a full-time celebrant. Just, <laughs> it just kind of came out of the blue that I suddenly went, I don't, there's no time left in my week to do anything else. Uh, I formally resigned from the company that I was doing transcript work for. That must have been oh, July or August last year. And kind of by default, I was a full-time celebrant. Uh, I'm, I'm making about enough money. Uh, I don't pay any super. That's probably a problem at the moment. I'm not putting any super away, but I make enough money to cover my tax debt, to cover my life and to cover my business. So, uh, it kind of, I kind of just fell into it without making a, you know, I have to have this much money in the bank or I, you know, need to be doing this many ceremonies. I had a kind of plan. I'm not really quite there, but well, no, I am. That's a lie. I sort of am. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of happened when I, re- when I realized that I was working so much on celebrancy that I didn't have time to do anything else. Now, um, the lovely person who did send in this question has said that she's a little bit frightened of doing budgeting because she's worried that she won't be able to afford her life, even though she really struggles to go to her day job. I actually found that, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, that it's actually really important to do those numbers. When I first started my business, my plan was that 100 weddings a year was my goal and that that would be enough for me to go full time. Uh, About 18 months into running my business, I was lucky enough to get a place in a local council subsidized women in business course. And part of that course was to do a full budget. So we had to budget, first of all, what our business cost in a year and then what our life cost in a year and figure out how much money that was, plus a bit for super and a bit for tax and a bit for growth and holidays and blah, blah, blah. And then we had to figure out how much money that was. And then we needed to look at our product or service and go, okay, well, how many of those do I need to sell to make that enough money? And what I figured out was I actually needed to sell 213 weddings a year to make the money that I needed to, you know, build my, or to, to live my life the way I wanted to live it and to afford my business and all those sorts of things. So I, you know, that was a, that was a massive eye opener to me because that was double the amount of work that I had planned for and also double the amount of work I wanted to do. I didn't, I was never in a place where I wanted to do 200 weddings a year. So I really needed to sit back and think about, uh, you know, what else I could do. Would I try and diversify more into funerals and training? Uh, where else could I, where could I cut costs? Of course, that's always important too. Uh, and what else could I do to really make it a bit more 
user-friendly. But doing those numbers were, was actually really important. It was, it was scary and it's definitely a bit frightening. But if you're wanting to make the jump into full-time celebrancy, I do think you've got to have a vague notion of what your life and your business costs you uh, and, and therefore how much work you're going to have to do in order to go full-time. I think that's just important to know. It's also an important uh, factor in deciding how much you charge because if you work out that your business costs this plus your life costs that and so you've got this number and you want to do 50 weddings a year and if you divide that number by 50 you get a thousand and you're only charging five hundred dollars then you're not charging enough to pay for your life and your business so that's a problem so you're either going to have to do like way more weddings at your 500 bucks or you're going to have to charge more so uh, I do believe that all celebrants should be doing those numbers just so they, they can make sure that they're charging above the minimum that they need to to make their life and their business work, but particularly if you want to go full-time. The other thing I just want to say about full-time is that a lot of people have very different versions of what full-time means. So the person who has sent in this question I think is in a similar situation to me. She said she doesn't have a partner to who can pay the bills to kind of fall back on if all if everything goes to shit. She's got a mortgage in her own name and she's really going, uh, you know, she has to be able to cover everything with the money that she makes, which is exactly the same situation I'm in. I don't have a partner. It's just me. Yes, I've got great parents who are there if I really need them, but my preference is not to need them. I'm 39. I shouldn't need them. Uh, So for me, full time means being, it means the thing that I do minimum of 40 hours a week. And it means the thing that I do that covers all of my expenses, both business and life. Some people are really lucky that they have partners. So they say that they're a full-time celebrant, but they might do 35 or 40 weddings a year. They, they call themselves a full-time celebrant because that's the only paid work they do. But what, what they're actually doing is they have three children or whatever, and they're, they're really busy looking up, bringing up those children, of course. Uh, so they have celebrancy as something that they love to do and it's a passion and that's really great, but it doesn't have to cover all the bills. So, you know, when we talk about full-time, it is just worth remembering that people have different versions of what that means. It's also worth not getting caught up on what people talk about on social media because a lot of people on social media will go, hey, I'm a full-time celebrant now. And when you dig behind that a bit more, you discover that what that actually means is that they do 30 weddings a year and they and the rest of the time they're bringing up their kids and they've got a partner who can foot the bills. So, Which is fine and valid and lovely. Absolutely fine but and valid and lovely. It's not but the it's definition it's a different that we, version, correct. Yeah. It's a different version of full-time. And, it's, uh, and I think this person who's sent in this question is very much in a situation where she needs to be pulling in all the money to cover all the things. Could, so, could I, um, could I yeah. throw a little bit of a framework for – for trying to move forward through this because like I, I'm I'm not as 
I'm not as strict a budgeters as Sarah is. Um, oh, mate, I'll, I'm not a budgeter now. I no, did that exercise I, once. I know, but you're smarter than me in those kind of regards. <laughs> I, I um, And I've got different methods of, of measuring my business, which is, on a side note, be careful what you measure because what you measure, what you measure um, occupies your mind. And so I... I've literally structured my world right now so that if Sarah said, hey, Josh, how many weddings have you got booked this year? I'm like, I do not know. <laughs> uh, and I – because if I knew, then then that number would occupy me and I'd say I want to do – so I, I, I measure different things than other people would. Um, and I can I feel like everyone's probably now wondering what that is and so I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'll just tell you really, really quickly – that if you book me as your celebrant, then your invoice is due in four months or one month before your wedding if your wedding is less than four months away. Uh, and so what that means is that if you're getting married in 400 years, your invoice is due in four months. If you're getting married in five months, your invoice is due in four months. If you're getting married in four months, your invoice is due in three months. Uh, and part of the reason for doing that was because when I went full-time, I thought we got to up cash flow because I, I earned the wage – for our family. Um, and so what's the quickest way to do that? Let's get, bring the invoices in quicker. And it's just stayed like that. And everyone's like, well, that's just the way it is because no one knows what the proper thing is. Like the whole getting paid one month before a wedding is fine and dandy and it's lovely. And I know many people uh, kind of have created the business to rely on that one month before thing. So, so don't feel bad because I think, I think you do that. Don't you Sarah? You're yeah, one, I do. Yeah. So that's, it's very valid and fine way for people to do it, but I just don't do it that way. And that's my way of increasing cash flow early. So what I do measure is my accounts receivable over the next four months. And I've got a number that needs to be above that number. And if it's not above that number, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that makes total sense. And I and I think getting – I'm just going to butt in here. I think getting caught up on numbers is really – so I have been very – I know for me that if I was to set myself – monthly targets of how many weddings I wanted to do per month or how many weddings I wanted to book per month or whatever, that that would keep me up at night. I would be very anxious about that. So my my only numbers target ever has been per year. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to do this many weddings per year and I've kind of created a number <laughs> out, of, out of nothing. No, it wasn't completely out of nothing. It was out of that budgeting exercise I did. But, it, yeah, it is really important to not get – to not get too caught up in how many weddings or how much money or you need to get caught up in whatever is going to allow you to live a valuable life. Absolutely. Because honestly, you don't want to get to the end of your life and go, oh, that fucking bright and green. Like you want to be like, I had a good life. And yeah. I, I, I did work that mattered and I found it enjoyable, um, which is how you, how you want to set up your business, which is, the, the framework I was talking about earlier, is, it's an extremely simple framework. You see, I'm of the belief that it's really easy to start a business because it is. Log on to squarespace.com, you know, whack a few things in there. Next minute, you got something.com. You start a social media, pull some photos from somewhere. Next minute, you know, you've got a 1,000 followers, boom. Like, like going from zero to 100 kilometers an hour in a car, it's really easy because you just get in and you just put your foot on the pedal and next minute, you'll be at 100 k's an hour. But you know what the real trick is? Driving from the Gold Coast to Melbourne at 100 k's an hour for the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the skill to sit at 100 k's an hour to find that to find that um, that cruising speed or that cruising altitude, because it's not a matter of just 
going flat sick to 100. And then as you approach 99, you go, oh, pull wall back, boy. Because it's, it's not like that. Uh, and I'm sure you can think of a time in your business, um, Sarah, where you were going from zero to 100. And then you see 100 coming in, like, fuck, <laughs> I'm about to break the speed limit, which yep. as, as we call in business terms, you go to burnout. <laughs> and, and, and it's a real art. Uh, mm. I, I just went and saw a, a, a Jesh, J-E-S-H, a Jesh DeRoe speak on Monday night in Sydney, and uh, and he talks about business as, as an art form, which I so believe it is, because it's a it's a beautifully weird, spectacular art at sitting at that cruising altitude. So starting, you know, I, Jack, I would say that the you going full-time, that's actually the easiest thing ahead of you because you throw enough money at a Facebook campaign, go to enough, go to enough expos, you know, if like if you're willing to throw ten grand at your celebrant business, you'll have the first hundred weddings booked. You'll be boom, you'll be on. But do it for a couple of years. Sit at that hundred kilometers an hour for a while. That's the real art. And and as much as Sarah and I can can mentor and talk about it for forever, and we will because we're passionate about it. In the end, you're just going to put your flat foot on the on the the pedal, and you'll get to a hundred. But the, that real art, which is kind of where my heart is with the Celebrant Institute, is trying to figure out, like, what does that cruising altitude look like and, and how do we do that? Uh, and I, I hope, as I say, that people might hear what I talk about in a different tone because because that's where my heart is, is that city that 100 k's an hour, that you can do celebrancy for not just one year but for five years or for 10, 10 years in May for me this year. If you can do it for 20 and if you can do it for 50 – and still love it, and not just oh yeah, I love weddings. Like no, no, deep in your heart, like <laughs> like when you're confiding to your partner and you've had a couple of drinks, like then you still love it. Um, then I think that's a successful life, and and that's that's where I want to try and aim at in my life, and that's where I'd like to encourage you guys to be. Uh, and and that's 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 where my heart is when I talk about all these things. Is that like that's the real beautiful art in this whole self employment celebrancy business is. Is there's only so many times that you can do a five hundred dollar wedding and not want to walk into a wedding with an Uzi, you know? It's very true. It's very true. Um, I just want to look at the actual questions that our lovely listener sent us. <laughs> yes, because we haven't really addressed much of that. No, we. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is: How should one approach conversations with their full time boss about reducing hours or taking days off for weddings without getting fired or being viewed as not being a team player? This is really tricky and it's really going to depend on the relationship you have with your boss and, you know, how open you've been with them about, uh, you know, this is my, this is my plan. Uh, And I suspect that, you know, there are some bosses who would be totally supportive of the fact that, you know, you're kind of using their job to just sit in while you work your your business up and there are some bosses who'd be really unhappy about that uh and you know much like Josh did he was really lucky that he had a a workplace that was supportive of him uh taking the time off that he needed but eventually said to him yeah you need to make a choice uh so it is a bit likely that you'll get to that that spot where you where they they say you need to make a choice and you might decide to dive full-time into celebrancy like Josh did. It's a really hard one for me to give advice on, for us to give advice on, because it it depends on so many factors. Uh, but I really think that you should just give it a shot and see what happens. Uh, depending on what your skill set is, 
are there part-time jobs out there that are that you could move to a three-day-a-week type of position or something like that? Uh, do you have a skill that, that, you know, you can shift around and or that you can, you know, work in other capacities? It's, yeah. So that's kind of my main – is that what you would sort of say, Josh, that it really depends? Yeah. And look, that's, that's the – that's the answer to most questions yeah. in the world is, yeah, because it does depend. Yeah. Um, but in the – yeah, because there's there's no perfect advice here. Uh, no. I, um, I've always been one to respect where my money comes from, which is why I'll bend over backwards for my couples because as, as much as like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a professional, I've got my own agency, yeah, you've all, if you also pay me a couple of grand to turn up at your wedding, I'll bend over backwards for you because that's – that's your prerogative. Uh, and while someone else, while, while I'm employed, um, I've always bent over backwards to my employer, which is probably why I was so honest and upfront with them uh, through the whole process because I figured, well, they're, they're, they're paying my wage. I, I probably owe them the conversation. Uh, and so, so that I, I, would, I would definitely be encouraging of being upfront in that way. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, the next one's, you know, how do people pay their mortgage? Hard work to be, yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> hard work really is, is how I pay the rent. I, I very well, no, I have never said no to a couple who wanted to book me ever. Uh, obviously if I'm not available, but I've never gone, Oh, I don't think they're, I'm the right fit for them because I have to pay my rent. So I don't have that luxury. Yeah. Uh, I don't say no when funeral bookings come in, my, I do have a rule, my, my pre, well, it's kind of a rule. It's not really a rule. My preference is to only do one funeral in a day because more than that, I find very difficult. Uh, but you know, some weeks are leaner than others and some weeks, both the funerals in that week come on the same day and I've just got to suck it up. Uh, so hard work and being willing to work with, uh, people who are not perfect, who are not my perfect couple or who are not, uh, you know, fitting in perfectly to my timetable. That's how I pay the rent by taking all the work that comes my way uh, and not being, you know, and as I say, if you, if you want to only work with a certain type of couple and you've got uh, someone who supports you or you've got the financial means to do that, then that's fantastic. But I'm not in that situation. So I just have to take whatever comes. Uh, when do you cut your day job out altogether? As I say, for me, it was when I literally had no time to do anything else. So I just kind of suddenly one day went, oh, I guess I'm full time. Again, I mean, I was in a, I did have the luxury of having a role that I could come into and out of uh, because they, I'm so good at what I do that they were quite willing to have me for as little time as they could every week. So I was lucky in that regard. And it's much more difficult if you're going along to a salaried job every day. But like Josh said, you know, one day you're just going to have to jump off the springboard and go, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm taking the leap. And the final question is how do you afford life in general? And again, it's all the same. It's all the same question. Hard work, taking that leap doing some numbers so you've got a vague idea of what your life costs you, uh, so you've got a vague idea of how much money you need to be bringing in, and then going for it. Yeah, I, I, I can't 
I, I can't add more to that apart from, uh, you know, I think you said much earlier, Sarah, like business is a beautiful art of trying to increase income and decrease um, expenses. Mm. But in the end, um, you just have to work hard. And, and I, I've got a friend who I'm coaching through going full-time, not in celebrancy, but in his own business at the moment. And, uh, and I haven't told him this yet because, you know, you like if you if you knew everything, if you if you knew everything about the future, it would be really boring. But one day soon, he's gonna have no money for a day, uh, <laughs> and and that that really forces you to make hard decisions about your business. Uh, like, there's nothing like starving for a day to really you know, reassess your life and decisions you've made and and what's important. Um, and so, because uh, I've had that day, like Britt and I have had a 24 hour period in our life where. You know what? Rent was paid. We had food in the in the in the pantry and food fuel in the car, and everything was okay. But but there was a day where our mm. bank accounts were zero and our savings accounts were zero, and uh, and well, you know we are we are so privileged because we didn't have to t- we we had a we had a fifteen hundred dollar credit card that we didn't have to touch, but we could have used it. You know, uh, but but one of those days really helps you. Uh, reassess what's important. It's just kind of like when you lose a loved one. You're like, oh, you know what? Spending time with family is important. Like, yeah, welcome to the fucking reality, man, where you yeah. should be doing this for the last <laughs> 30 years of your life. But it took someone dying for you to spend time with your mum. That's Then that's okay. Go spend time mm. with your mum. Uh, and so those moments of business, I find them really exciting because it, it just helps you really make better decisions. Absolutely. So true. So true. And, you know, some – yeah. So yeah, I actually have nothing else to add on that. I hope that we've, I hope we've helped a little bit. Uh, and if nothing else, I just hope that people are brave. Sometimes you have to be brave and sometimes you just have to, have, you just have to take a leap and sometimes you have to go, okay, well, I'm going to take this, <clears throat> I'm going to take this leap, but I realize that it means that I'm not going to be able to go to the movies or buy music or buy books or eat out or anything for a certain period of time and that's okay because that's the choice I'm making uh, to live a better life in a job that I adore uh, and in a role that, that fills me with joy and passion and that's the choice I'm making. I made that choice when I first became a celebrant. There, You know, typing transcripts does not really make a lot of money and uh, all I could afford to do was pay the bills. So for a long, long time, I really had no discretionary spending at all. I had, didn't have a holiday for five, four and a half years, almost five years, uh, because there was no discretionary money at all. There was money to pay the bills and to eat, and that was it. Uh, but that was the decision that I made so that I could have a job that suited my uh the kind of life that I want to live and it suits my health issues and it suits my passion and I love it and I, and I adore it. And now I have discretionary money and I can start buying music again. And iTunes is, uh, you know, Apple is, is enjoying me spending money again on music. <laughs> love it. I'll, uh, I'll end on this wise, wise note, Sarah, is that um, you've just got to be in the moment looking at everything like in that moment because sometimes you've got to make decisions about your business and you've got to know when to hold them know when to fold them <laughs> know when to walk away you run you never count your money when you're sitting at the table there'll be time enough for count when the dealing's done 
right now it's time to walk away from this episode because we might be getting a bit delirious. <laughs> is that cause is that cause the dealings done? I think we're done. I think <laughs> I'm just I'm just walking away from that right now. <laughs> Sarah, have fun. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. As always, if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to send them to hello at celebrant.fm. Please come join us at the Celebrant Institute. If you want to ask us a question, small monthly subscription gives you access to Josh and I to ask any question at all. Just come to www.celebrant.institute to sign up. We'd love to see you there. And we hope to be in your ears again soon. You got to know when the hole, when the hole, no when to fall down, no when to walk away, no when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done.